1: back to Buckeye Talk. This is the no-chewing version of Buckeye Talk, a pledge, a pledge to no longer chew, because we're too professional for that. We have too many listeners, and we're not just, we're not the ragtag bunch of dumbasses. (laughs) Well, we are, but we're not going to chew as much.
0: Landis has a coffee, but you're going to sip, you might have to throw that out the window. I'll sip, I'll sip discreetly. Uh, Can I say this, though? Um while we are a professional podcast we do not have a cough button and two of us are sick so apologies in advance for any coughing here yeah we're pretty sick I am uh, my daughter is
1: sick and Landis is sick and there are only five people in the world that I interact with on a daily basis <laughs> the three people in my family Bielik and Landis and so two of those five people are sick so I, have I am of course I'm sick I'm sick enough that if I had a normal job and I didn't have to go talk to football players, I'd be, I would have taken a sick day today. Yeah. You would have taken like three or four sick days, right? Last
0: week. Last week, I would have, yeah.
1: But how sick? I was thinking about this on the way here. I have not missed my first football game covering Ohio State. was the second game of the 2005 season, the Texas game, because I wasn't hired in time for the first game. And I have not missed a game. I think I would have to be projectile vomiting
0: to be sick enough to miss a game. What is your threshold of, I'm too sick to cover this football game? Same. And I might even try to... There's bathrooms in the press box. I might risk it. Like, like as long as you had a, like a two-minute lead time
1: on your yeah. projectile vomiting?
0: Yeah. Like, if I had a debilitating fever and literally could not walk around without passing out, then I probably would stay home.
2: Yeah.
1: What's your threshold,
0: Tim?
2: I think it'd be just any kind of flu. Like, January, I had a stomach flu where I pretty much couldn't get off the couch for about 30 hours. 30 hours? At mm-hmm. least 30 hours. I couldn't move. I had, like, no interest in doing anything but, like, vomiting, apparently, pretty much.
1: All right. So, as long as we're... I don't think we're going to vomit during this podcast. So, I think we're in good shape. Yeah, we're good. I'm, cor-
2: I'm in... Cor- I feel like I need to be in a quarantine zone. You need to get me one of those hazmat suits or, you know, set up, like, a microphone that goes through, like, a wrap... Uh, like a... Like a like some kind of rap, kind of like from the movie Outbreak, where I'm kind of in a quarantine zone. So I yeah, don't get what you guys have.
1: You're definitely getting it, by yeah. the way.
2: So enjoy your last few days of
1: healthiness and get ready to be sick for Illinois week. Oh, thank um, you. All right. So this is Buckeye Talk, Doug LaMurice, Spillandis, Landis, Tim Bielek, your Ohio State coverage team. We wrapped up the Iowa loss right after the game with a hardcore hour and 50 minutes of breaking that game down. So we've moved past that. We are going to start writing and talking about the future, but... This is still a team that can win the Big Ten championship, that can finish 11-2, and two, um, that has a lot of things still right here. So we don't want to completely ignore that. We might ignore that during Illinois week. But still today, we're not going to talk about the Iowa loss. We'll get into Michigan State a little bit, but we're going to talk more state of the program. We've been writing about that. Uh, we're trying to put this loss into context and... What it means for Urban Meyer, what it means overall for Ohio State football when you add it to the Oklahoma loss, the Clemson loss, a lot of the close games they have played. And so we're going to go to our um, honorary Buckeye Talk producer, Doug DeLillo, who just like writes out a script for us to follow some podcast. And his question about this, I think, sets this up pretty well for us to dive in for a little bit.
0: Okay, so DeLillo sent me a message on Twitter. He asked, he asked permission, and then he sent it. It was very nice of him. It's super long, and I'm going to try to like skim it. Basically, he points out all the bad games over the last few years. was uh, Being down at Wisconsin, coming back, being up at Penn State and losing, being down against Michigan, having to come back, getting blown out by Clemson, getting blown out by Oklahoma, being down three scores to Penn State, having to come back, and then obviously getting blown out by Iowa last week. Um and then he asked a bunch of questions. He says, who do you pin it on? It isn't in a few games. Ohio State hasn't come out and executed earlier, often in big games since the Oklahoma win last year. Is this lack of focus by the team, lack of coaching and preparation by Urban and the staff? It's a trend now. And he says, while the outcome has been good in some, outside of the fourth quarter at Wisconsin, Michigan, and Penn State, they have played a ton of bad football in those games. Why? So here's my answer
1: to that. I feel like opponents come up with game plans to deal with Ohio State and Ohio State more often than not does what it does. And that formula leads to that sometimes leads to them getting down. And then when they win, the winning is based on coaching adjustments to what has happened and talent winning out. Um, but the times when it doesn't happen, it's because opposing coaching staffs have found ways to attack Ohio State. And Ohio State, here's the thing, you only cover your team, and I actually never covered college football before I covered Ohio State, so I don't have context. of like, well, I, when I covered blank, this is, I've covered Jim Trestle and I've covered Urban Meyer. And I know it sounds like here... They're always talking about all the things that other teams are doing to them. But they don't talk that much about the things they're doing to other teams. Now, I don't know if that's just a, that's the deal that that's how it feels for everybody. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Your own team talks about the things that get done to them, but they don't give the secrets away. Well, by the way, we did do 30 different things the other team didn't expect. I do know James Franklin, after the Penn State game, was talking about the things Ohio State did that surprised Penn State, that James Franklin felt like Ohio State did take advantage of that bye week to do some things that that Penn State wasn't necessarily anticipating. So, you know, that's good. That's good. But when you think about Lincoln Riley dialing up a game plan for Ohio State, I just don't get that same vibe of when's the last time you felt like Ohio State really dialed up a game plan? Or when you think, you know, I, Yeah. so that's, that would be, that would be my answer. And then that, I don't think it's that the, I don't think it's the players. I don't think it's the recruiting. I don't think it's that they don't have enough talent because they do have more talent than those teams, except Clemson. Clemson was at, at the very least equal talent, if not more talent, they had a better quarterback and just as good of a defense. Yeah. They had more talent, but that's, that's what I would go to that these are good teams that do something to out-game plan Ohio State, and Ohio State more or less does what it does. And in those moments, it's either not good enough or it's not good enough for a while until they figure it out Then it is good enough. And then in conclusion, that all sounds a lot like the Trestle era and the complaints that people had in the Trestle era of them being very good, of them having more talent but in equal talent games them not
0: being able to get it done I buy all that so it's a coaching issue is that what you're saying it's a coaching coaching issue? game plan coaching in,
1: the game plan the weekly preparation of the coaches to scheme up something to put their players in the best position and to do something that the opposition doesn't expect
0: yeah that makes sense to me I just so I'm trying to think like Delillo's question is who do you pin it on and like the coaches is like an overarching thing, obviously. Is it just like Urban missing on assistant Because I feel like in, in twenty fourteen, I'm trying to remember back in twenty fourteen, when they had like that was his best collection of coaches here, obviously. If teams put that like outside of Bud Foster and the Bear in week two against Virginia Tech against a team of freshmen and sophomores who had no idea what they were doing, did they get <coughs> did they ever get out coached in that season? I think the defining thing of
1: 2014 in a lot of ways was the arrival of Chris Ash on the defensive side of the ball and a defensive change that when other teams had to get used to that, that Ohio State talking about, oh, Ohio State doesn't do anything different. They completely changed their coverage scheme in 2014 compared to 2013. So that was a change for every opponent. And they had they got film over it over the course of the year. But they switched to something and in the first year of it were really good at it because they had the players who could execute it. And I think Ash and Luke Fickle coached it very well. And on the offensive side of the ball, Tom Herman was really good. So I do think that was high-level game planning from Ash with Fickle's help and Herman with Warner's help. High level game planning on both sides, and I would say it's fair to question. I certainly feel like in fifteen and sixteen they did not have that offensively. I think they're much closer to having that offensively again. And and then this is where like the record scratches and we skid to a stop, because the thing that's a little hard for me is like, is Greg Schiano not good enough? Well, that's what I was that's say. where like, I, how are we in that position now with this coaching staff? I I I, I would not understand how we are there. And I at the moment other than laying this at the feet of linebacker's coach Bill Davis, which I certainly did in a story that went up Monday night, I don't know what my explanation is for why Iowa scored 55, 48 of those points on offense against this Ohio State defense. I don't I don't have a handle on that. And we yeah. have we are recording this before we go talk to the coaches and players on Tuesday. We're supposed to talk to Greg Schiano today. We will have videos and stories explaining this. At the moment, I do not understand that. Do you guys understand how Greg Shiano, supremely successful coordinator in college, supremely successful head coach in college, guy who was so good he got an NFL head coaching job, guy who we say is going to be a good candidate for another head coaching job in college, how is it that his defense got lit up? I don't know what that is.
2: I don't even, The hard thing is I feel like as much as we can pin it on the coaches, there may not be one grand reason. It just it's a breakdown of like 10 different things. Like I point out probably my biggest reason, the defensive line was a non-factor. And I mean, if that this defense is predicated on getting pressure with four guys when you supposedly have the best defensive line outside of Clemson, when you have that, you're supposed to get pressure on everybody. And because they never got pressure on Nathan Stanley for any consistent stretch, that allowed them to get shredded again and again and again. And they just never had an answer for that. I think when it comes to that, if you're the defensive coordinator, you need to find ways to manufacture pressure. And they never did, or they never found any weakness. So I pinned that on game plan and adjustments. that so they never found a weak point to attack. <coughs>
0: Is it possible that Greg Schiano is just not as good of a coach as we thought he was in this sense? Like, is he more like Urban than maybe we thought? Great motivator, run a program, can recruit, can oversee a lot of different things, be a CEO. But when it comes to developing safeties in particular, because that position I didn't think did not, did not play very well against Iowa, but then also coordinating in defense, maybe he's not – quite cut out for it as, say, like Chris Ash was when him and Luke Fickle were working together and put together a really good defense.
1: (sighs) Okay, here's maybe my defensive theory, specifically on the defense. A, Shiano is clearly more in charge solely of the defense this year than previously when Fickle had a co-coordinator title with Shiano last year. With Ash previously, with Everett Withers previous to that, right? Yeah. I think it's possible that not having a second voice that is of equal footing maybe is an issue. But here's the other main thing offensively, offensively, I feel like there might be an overall theme to some things, which is. Caught in between, which is the stuff Bill wrote Monday night. They couldn't throw. Now they went too far the other way, trying to emphasize throwing. They lost their way uh, in emphasizing the run game. They've struggled with the play calling at times. Like there's maybe, and that Urban, Urban as the offensive head coach is caught in between trying to be hands-on, but less hands-on than it used to be, and the result is kind of um, a sticky situation where they get caught in between a lot. I think it's possible that defensive things are more individual games and see if you would buy this. Like the last half of 2016, we saw a negative trend with the offense, right? Uh But I don't know that we saw a negative trend with the defense. It, they didn't, they weren't, the defense wasn't bad. I mean, they yeah, were it was st- pretty solid. It was solid all year. solid. You know. So then what happened? Well, Clemson happened. Clemson's Deshaun Watson. Good luck with that. It's like, why did they give up 31 to Clemson? If your answer is Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams, I'm not sure there's much more to it than that.
0: Yeah.
1: Oklahoma, it was a tight, what was it, 3-3 at the half?
2: Yeah, it yeah. was. And I think Ohio State, it was like 10-10 again in the second half, I think, if not, if, Ohio State didn't even actually lead it. But
0: play. Oklahoma was moving the ball. They just weren't scoring. <clears throat> yeah,
2: and I they, agree, but what
1: would be, if you encapsulated why Oklahoma was effective against the Ohio State
0: defense, what would you say? Play action pass against mm-hmm. the linebackers and safeties.
2: And a very undisciplined reaction <laughs> to the play action. Because
0: And Baker Mayfield played awesome. So Baker Mayfield magic
1: and a breakdown at a position group. Okay. Yeah. Then if, then the defense has been good, right? We haven't had defensive issues Really, since then, have we? No, not really. I mean, no. they shut down Saquon Barkley. We were pla- we were praising the defense for what they did to Saquon Barkley the week before. Yeah. And then when you have Trace McSorley and, and that offense along with Saquon Barkley, Penn State's going to put some points on you, right? But it was the kickoff return, um, short field on a, on a Paris Campbell fumble, right? The defense was not the big problem against Penn State, right? No. So now we get to Iowa. So we get to Iowa, and I would say Clemson is Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams. Oklahoma is linebackers and Baker Mayfield. Iowa is linebackers again, and then for the first time, this lack of pressure from the defensive line showing up for whatever reason. For whatever reason that they would say Iowa's young offensive line just played great. They had a great plan. Nate Stanley, the quarterback, played really well. They didn't have their best game. They did lose Nick Bosa for half of it. Like, I don't think it's a – we're sort of looking at what's a program issue and what's a one-time thing. And I thought the one thing on Monday when we talked to Urban Meyer that we didn't quite get at, and after the fact I sort of figured out the way that I would have asked it. It wasn't what I was asking about specifically. But the thrust to me is, Urban, do you feel like the Iowa game was more of a bad day or did you see problems there that are overall issues in the program right now? And I think it's possible your defensive answer for Iowa is is the linebackers are a program issue. We thought we had it fixed and we didn't get it fixed and the defensive line had a bad day. And and I don't know that that means Greg Schiano is not a good coordinator, whereas on the offensive side of the ball, I think there is an overarching theme of you've lost your way a little bit. But I don't know that to me there's the same overarching theme on the defensive side of the ball outside of. Bill Davis isn't a good linebacker's coach.
2: Right, and here's a style I'll bring up. I just looked it up. I don't know if you guys saw this. Ohio State has not had a turnover in a meaningful point of the game since Maryland. <coughs> they've only had one takeaway since the Maryland game, and that was on the final play in Nebraska. So they've gone almost four full games without a, t- without a turnover at a meaningful point of the game. If, you're, if this defense is supposed to be good as it is, why can't they get takeaways? That's what you're supposed When you have Nick Bosa and Taquan Lewis, you're supposed to be getting enough pressure to force terrible throws and get gifted picks or turnovers, and they haven't gotten one in weeks. And when
1: they, were, exactly. when they were getting turnovers in previous years, we went
2: crazy writing about that stuff. That was a huge part it's of their identity. Their so great last year. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see, like, ask Seattle, why can't you guys get turnovers anymore?
0: I asked him at the beginning of the year, I said, do you have a sense – for whether or not this team will be as good, this defense will be as good at producing turnovers as it was last year. And, like, he gave me a, a typical coach answer, but his typical coach answer of, well, they're hard to get, it's hard to tell, was, like, I read it as a no. I read it as a we don't have the dynamic defensive talent that we had last year, which is obvious. Like, they don't have Lattimore, Conley, and Hooker on the back end of the defense. They don't have Raquan McMillan in the middle. Like, that's a, a, clearly an obvious point to make. Um but, yeah, it is. That's a crazy stat, Tim. I didn't I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah, that's something we'll, we should – I think we had to bring up with, with Shiano. It's like your three-quarters of the season you're, and your defense, which is loaded with talent across the board, just isn't able to take the football away. And you, when you talk momentum shifts in a game, what's the number one momentum shift moment in a game? It's a turnover. Punting. Oh, well, uh, You <laughs> pick punting. I
0: would pick punting, yes. I
1: would say turnovers. And, and I do think – I mean, I think there's analytics guys and, and who would just tell you there's a lot of variance in turnovers that you can't account for. Yep. But it is, it is a thing that absolutely swings a team's record from, you know, in the NFL, one year you're, you're 10 and six and the next year you're six and 10, and you might be basically the same team, but the turnovers just went a completely different way. And, you know, you have to take advantage of opportunities, but I don't feel like, I mean, I'm, I don't feel like, there have been Ohio State defensive backs dropping interception opportunities. You no, just think, think back, like, there think haven't been a ton maybe, of them. No,
0: there haven't been a lot of opportunities for them. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm thinking about, and this, I could be talking to my butt, and this could mean nothing. But I feel like last year, like, the defensive line did not have a lot of sacks last year, and people were asking, what, like, where are all the sacks? We have these, all the great defensive ends. Where are they? I feel like they were always around the quarterback and always disrupting passes, and they're not doing that this year. I think they did a little bit against um, – Richard Lego in the second half of the Indiana game, but outside of that, I feel like I haven't really seen it. And, and they they talk- did it on the last drive against Penn State, right? One yeah. drive, right, right. But, but not also, game long. And, but they also talked about at the beginning of the year like changing a little bit of how they line up on the defensive line in an effort to get more sacks. And I don't think they have any more sacks than they had last year. I haven't compared it to, but it doesn't feel like they have more.
2: Nick Bosa leads with four, I believe. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, um, but I'm wondering if like if that change in an effort to get more <laughs> sacks has made them like less of a team that's constantly in the quarterback space. And
2: that's that's where I think, going back to your point at the beginning, is this team seems reactive instead of proactive. If you're Greg Schiano, why don't you, at the start of the game against Michigan State, start with a kitchen sink blitz? Just make...
0: Have like Brian Lewerke is going to throw it to a tight end over your head and they're going to score a touchdown.
2: Well, yeah, but w- if Michigan State sees that Ohio State never blitzes and all of a sudden they blitz, then you send a message that like, hey, we're going to come after you.
0: I don't think Ohio State never blitzes. I think Ohio State actually blitzes quite a bit.
2: Well, I know, but I mean, as far as like, no, more often than not, they'll go with just the four guys and rely on them to get pressure. If you send diff- if you send a different blitz in certain situations, you want to dictate tempo. And that's kind of going back to Doug's point is it seems like more often than not, they don't dictate tempo with when a team like this kind of talent should.
1: The one thing, and I don't know if this is like a reverse self-fulfilling prophecy, their defensive line has such a reputation. It feels like opposing offenses know they need to get rid of the ball quickly. And so there's no like there's no surprise aspect to it. It's like everybody kind of gets rid of the ball which negates their best thing. Like, there is... When your best thing is your defensive line, there is, like, you can sort of... There's a solution to that. Right? You just get rid of it before they get there. And, again...
0: And get them out of position with play-action passes and stuff. Use
1: their their aggressiveness against them. And Iowa only hit... They hit 21 throws. One was to the long snapper. Seven were to receivers. And the other 13 were to tight ends and running backs. These aren't throws that take time. These aren't throws... And and I, I got I didn't count up the blitzes or anything, but there's one, and I think we talked about it after the game. There's one that stands out in my head of they blitzed and they threw a pass to the tight end right back into the zone where the linebacker blitzed from and got a 20 yard gain out of it. And so, you know, and I know there's ways behind that. There's ways to cover behind that and everything that that you. It's not like if you blitz the blitzing blitzing is a disadvantage, but I'm a little. I I am frankly I'm a little confused. I'm a little confused by it because it seems like they should be good enough. And But again, I think the one thing is, I think it would be incorrect to say the defense has been bad or the defense has not lived up to snuff. They just got blown off the field yeah. by Iowa by a tremendous game plan with a quarterback who played really well, that has a really good running back, that has tight ends that made him pay and by an offensive line that played really well with, I think, what people think is a talented young offensive coordinator, Kirk Ferentz's son, who did a really good job. So there are things there to Iowa's credit that you can point to. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's one of those – I'm not going to say it because it's the kind of thing coaches say. Sometimes you have to give the other team credit. But like you don't have. But to they didn't do anything like. No, it wasn't a surprise. It, it was like, just... the biggest
0: change Iowa made was <coughs> like throwing more on first down than it normally does. Like they weren't they weren't new plays, there weren't new packages that they ran their offense that was ineffective against everyone else they played. I guess except for Iowa State. Yeah. So, like I don't know. Like great great game plan. I think is giving Iowa too much credit. <laughs> they just play. They do what they always do.
1: Sorry about that. I was blowing my nose oh, into a napkin. That is-, is not a chew. That was
2: a nose blow into a napkin. But what they wanted to do just worked, and I think it kind of goes back to the point of when this defensive line gets no pressure by itself, what is this defense? When you neutralize the best aspect, and the back seven is under is a serious question mark, considering you know the problems in coaching in the linebacking group, the fact that you really only have one cover guy you can trust every single play in Denzel Ward, that's one-seventh of the defense. And
0: they take really bad angles tackling, too. Exactly. I think that's one thing that's been consistent through most games is their angles have been I mean, when guy, angles and guys in the open field I think have it bad. And that's uh that's Shiano. That starts at the top. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a discipline starting. he at said the top. he I asked him I, I asked him about tackling last week and he said he thinks they're a good tackle thinks they're a good tackling team can certainly be better, but he and I don't know, maybe he's not gonna sit there and say, like, oh we're awful, we gotta get so like I guess that's just what he's supposed to say. But Urban would tell you though. When Urban thinks they're awful at something, they say it. Yeah. And maybe they're not, like, I guess tackling and pursuit are two different things. It's like it, we tackle the guy
1: if we're there. If we're getting the right spot. Yeah. But we take horrible angles to get there, and so then sometimes we don't even have the chance to tackle him.
2: Yeah, yeah. the one that you stands know. out to me is, I forget what play it was, when Damon Arnett had a chance to drop a guy for a 3 yard loss with badly and then turned into, like, another 20-yard gain. Those are plays that, you know, guys just have to step up and make those plays, and they just didn't.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's hard, and, and, and it's okay to do this. I always prefer to go coaches first because they make they make money. Mm-hmm. And these are 20-year-old, 21-year-old guys who aren't making money. Um, sometimes there's a guy who just flies all over the field, and wherever the ball is, he makes a tackle. And he can cover things up for you. Ryan Shazier can cover things up sometimes. Raekwon McMillan, I think, can cover things up sometimes. I think if you would have guessed who's that guy going to be, on the Ohio State defense this year, you probably would have guessed Jerome Baker. Yeah. And it feels like he hasn't done that as much as people would have expected.
0: Yeah, he's not. He, I don't think he's having a great year. And I I, I said this when we were walking out of, of in, uh, I think it was interviews on Monday. I don't know what the deal is with him. But, yeah, he's not. I feel like he started off poorly, like got a little better, and then took another step back against Iowa. And I feel like Iowa was attacking him. Like they felt like he was vulnerable <laughs> in some sense when the run went to his side. Yeah, What's the thing you said? Someone had suggested that someone and Baker's I, better in backside <clears throat> pursuit than he is when the play runs out of him. Good. I follow a really lot of smart football people on Twitter, and I, I apologize for Did not you say it was Kyle that. Jones from 11 Warriors? It might have been Kyle Jones from 11 Warriors who said that Baker what, Baker prefers to be the guy chasing down a play on the backside than being the guy who, who has the play coming at him, taking on blockers, which makes sense. He's, not, he's, like, he's a great athlete, but he's not the biggest guy in the world, um, so that makes a little bit of sense. So anyway, the thing the thing that I don't have a handle on
1: is what would it be that Iowa's two freshman tackles could just block Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, and Nick Bosa while he was in there? And the thing that I would point to is I think it's possible that if there was one group that was physically tired from the Penn State game, it would be them. They played a lot. And that they yeah. that, that, that that if they weren't at a hundred percent on the gas tank um seven days later, that would not shock me. And if you said said, what was it? And they said, we just, we didn't, we we went so hard in that game. And again, all four of those guys were trace, chasing Trace McSorley on the last play of the game for Penn State. And then those four guys just don't have quite as much burst off the line. Um, if that's a thing, I would get that. Yeah. I would that get that. To
0: me. That makes sense So,
1: I mean, people talk about, oh, like physical games.
0: Yeah. I mean, who's it going to wear out? It's going to wear that out. Yeah. So, can we go back <coughs> quickly Ugh. before we change topics or whatever we're going to do next? Sorry for the coughing. Sorry. Yeah, it's Ugh. just like, it's that time of the year, folks. People get sick.
1: What did you say? You said it's, this is going to be the deal now when there's no more
0: fall because yeah, of we're climate all, change. We're all going to get, yeah, it's going to be summer and then winter, and we're all going to be sick. We're all going to die of the common cold. Um, not to be morbid. Um, anyway. anyway. So, I th- like to put a, a bow on, on this topic anyway. Your question of whether or not this was just a bad day or a systemic problem, should the Iowa game even be part of the conversation when we talk about Clemson and Oklahoma and playing poorly against Penn State and playing kind of poorly against Michigan before pulling that game out, losing in 15 to Michigan State? Like, this was not equal talent, got out coached. This was we forgot how to play football for 60 minutes and lost to a mediocre team. I feel like I, and the more I've thought about it for, the, for over the last three days, it feels much more to me like just bad day, because it's not. I, I, if there are systemic issues within the program when it is in these big games, I do not count losing to Iowa among those problems. I buy that.
2: Yeah, I can I can understand bad day because if the if the linebackers are having problems in coverage, that's normal. But if the defensive line can't get pressure, if JT if JT Barrett cannot run, if the offense cannot run well, literally everything that. Literally everything except kickoff coverage was terrible. So I think you can pin it on they just had a terrible, terrible day.
0: It was like I feel, I feel like oftentimes and and a lot of the like the losses it was like the coaches coached a bad game. This was the coaches coached a bad game and the players played poorly. Like it, it was all, everything that could go wrong for Ohio State went wrong.
2: It was a Murphy's Law game. <laughs> and basically, the best you could do is just take that one up, roll. it, Roll it up in a piece of paper and just toss it in the trash and move on.
0: No, we could be wrong. Like they could come out laying egg against Michigan State, and then like obviously then the Iowa thing is part of a larger problem. Well, so here's so I think it's both. I think on defense,
1: again, to wrap up, there's an an issue with the linebackers. Yes. That was exacerbated by a bad day by the defensive line. Offensively, there's an issue with trying to figure out what they want to do. And forgetting how to use J.K. Dobbins, that's an overall issue that was exacerbated by J.T. Barrett having the worst game of his career. So I think there are, on both sides, there are foundational things, but those foundational things alone don't have to kill you, although the linebackers did kill him against Iowa, against Oklahoma. But then you added on top of it bad day stuff, and that's how you get to a 31-point loss as a 20-point favorite. But again, um, the J.T. Barrett stuff, when we said a video about this, I think Urban is just perplexed by what JT, some of the throws J.T. made. And we have not talked to J.T. Barrett as we sit here. Um, again, go to Cleveland.com as you're listening to this. We'll certainly have a story, if not two, um, and some videos up off what J.T. Barrett said Tuesday night. So there's something there that, I mean, I think that's probably a lot of bad day stuff. Maybe J.T. got in his own head a little bit trying to make plays and just had a terrible day. Um, but yeah, that wrapped up with the other things. But I, I do think I agree with that. I think it's, I would not lump, I would have, lumped, if they would have lost to Penn State, then you you would have lumped Penn State in with mm-hmm. Oklahoma and Clemson. But this is something different. And the thing that's so weird about this is this doesn't happen. Yeah. And this didn't happen under Trestle. The one thing that I always said under Trestle is Trestle never lost games like this. Trestle might lose equal talent games when you need something to put you over the top, but what he did very well was take care of business week in and week out. And I've covered the team since 05, and the only game that I would compare to this is the Purdue loss in 09, where you just lose to a team that doesn't have nearly as much talent. But even that game was close. That wasn't a 31-point loss. So... um One of the underrated things, it's easy with a guy like Urban Meyer, who's 68 and 8, to blow off the 68 sometimes. Because probably at least 48 of those 68 are gimme games. Mm -hmm. Like, But sometimes teams lose gimme games. We would have counted. This is a 20-point favorite against Iowa, whose previous Big Ten wins were against Illinois and Minnesota. If they had beaten Iowa... Nobody would have been impressed. We would have lumped that in with the 50 other Urban Meyer wins he had here at Ohio State that's like, yeah, of course they won. Big deal. You never get any credit for those. But over the course of time, if you're 50-0 and 0 in the games that you obviously should win, that means something. And so that's no longer an O. Maybe the Michigan—maybe the Virginia Tech game in 14 you would have already put in that category— That's really probably only at the very – this is only the second game. He has eight losses at Ohio State. This is only the second one that is, like, an inexplicable how-do-you-lose-to-a-team-like-that-you-are-so-much-more-talented. Because even the Michigan State times they lost, those are good Michigan State teams with a great coach. Yes. You know, it's not inexplicable. It's like, man, you got D'Antonio'd. And when you lose to Clemson, that's not inexplicable. You know, so – you know, this sometimes they don't make sense. And, and like, there are good coaches who lose, like, a game like this once a year or once every two years. So Urban sure. Myers lost either one or two in six years. I do think you're allowed to have a bad day, but you're also allowed to ask questions about a bad day. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I do think this is – and maybe this we – we had asked in a video, why is Ohio State a 16-point favorite against Michigan State? If you buy the bad day theory to a large degree – and they're really mad about their bad day, and it's not an overall issue, then you understand why there might be a 16-point
2: favorite. Right. I'll, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on this, and this I'm going to go all the way back to the mm-hmm. season preview, because I I thought about this when you were driving back Sunday. I never got to mention this. I remember in the season preview, you kind of had the Iowa game circled as my head as one that would kind of worried me a little bit. This was in the middle of my hashtag, for all we know, Rutgers little spiel. Mm-hmm. Which, everybody remembers that part. Nobody remembers me kind of talking about Iowa a little bit. That I think that a lot of people
0: cut. forgot about that, and you just reminded them. <laughs> well, Rutgers, by the way, which is on a three-game winning streak. so they won three of
2: four, and their uh-huh. only loss was to Michigan super quarterback Brandon Peters. There's a
0: scenario out there where Rutgers can be a Big Ten East co-champs. For real? I mean, like, everyone has to lose, and Rutgers has to win. Like, that's a scenario. But, yeah. but Tim, Tim Bielek would be I on guess. it first? Yeah. So does but,
2: that does that mean I get my parade? You do. You are the grand marshal yes. of the, for all we know, Rutgers parade. As, but, as long as I get my parade in a free New York-style piece, I'm in good shape. But you thought this was possible? Yeah, I mean, Kinnick has been a trap for for a decade at least. I mean, and coming yeah. off a game that we saw in the schedule was arguably the second biggest game of the season, depending on where you rank then, the hierarchy of Oklahoma, Penn State, and Michigan, between those three games, this was the game right after that that you kind of, in hindsight, probably should have been a little more concerned about it. And I'm not saying it was a 31-point concerning because no one in their right mind, even Iowa couldn't have imagined they would have won by 31.
0: Yeah, if Ohio State would have lost like 24-21 on a field goal, people would have been mad, but they would have been like, oh, that's, that's Kinnick. Like, that happens. It's there's just- the bones of top five teams are used as, as the foundation of that stadium.
2: They're probably also hidden, mixed into the pink paint in the visitor locker room.
0: What did you pick Ohio State to go this year, by the way? As you were sussing
1: out the way, the team, the games they might lose. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <What> <laughs> go was ahead and your, say what was it. I said twelve and zero. Okay. But again, the reason I said it was at that time, I could not pick specific games they were going to lose.
0: I picked ten and two with losses to Oklahoma and Iowa. Nicely done.
2: Uh, we'll have to play back the tape on that because I believe someone in this car is wrong. Oh.
0: All right,
1: let's go to some other questions. we got a bunch of good ones again this week. Um, call Just call me Buana, which is at... Is that a thing? Does that mean something? I, I, don't know. I hope that's not a meme that I don't understand. I'm always afraid about of memes that I don't understand, and I just said something offensive or something. I don't know. I don't know what that... Okay. I'm not offended. Oh, wait. Let's see. Loving life in East Africa. It ain't for sissies. Oh. Building capacity in people. How develop and power release Usa River, Arasha, Tanzania. Hmm. All right, I'll call that. Just call me Buana, Tanzania.
2: So wait, we, Sorry. we've had England, we've had Alaska. Oh, we got our fan Tanzania. From, we got our fan from China. Oh yeah,
0: we got a question from China. Yeah, well, oh, let, right. let me got... pull that up in the email.
2: Cause... How about how
0: about
1: some mad respect for Just Call Me Buana? Changing lives in East Africa. What? Look at this.
0: At David Marianne. Wow, I am super. I'm
1: coming like to Tanzania. Missionaries.
0: Is Tanzania where uh, Kilimanjaro is? I don't know. I sounds familiar. I believe that could be the case. Do
2: you want to go to our our friend from Tanzania, or do you want me to go to China? No, we'll no go, look, look
0: at the China. Me. We're going. This is global. Just, I'm
1: just offering. I didn't understand the reference, and I and now I want to give respect to the reference because at David Marianne. They're getting it done. It looks like the picture in on the Twitter avatar is of David and Marianne. And they are getting it done in East Africa. Mad respect to them.
2: All right. Thank you for listening out there.
1: <clears throat> yeah. If teams take away the running back and read option, forcing the QB to keep, the offense needs to incorporate more direct RB runs without an option. I still don't feel like Ohio State has yet to have a, a, an impose our will on the defense via the running game game this year. Bill, you just wrote all about this. Mm-hmm. Is that... Is it that easy? Like, do they just need to add more straight running back handoff calls into the offense? Or would that eat away
0: at what they are as an offense?
1: I don't don't,
0: don't think so. I don't think so. I think, and this is, (coughs) this is, I feel like this is like a third year in a row we've had this conversation. And like, and they always seem to make the adjustment after the fact. And I'm not an X's and O's expert. Um, I read a lot, and Ross Fulton had a piece today a Buckeye Grove about the offensive problems, and he says they need to incorporate some more gap-blocking schemes. I, again, I'm not pretending to even know what that means, but I do remember in 2015 after they had lost to Michigan State and everyone was saying, you're running JT too much, you're not giving Zeke the ball. It wasn't that they were calling runs for JT. It's that they were calling reads and defenses forcing JT to keep. That's what happened against Iowa. And then I, I actually went back and watched a lot of the 2015 Michigan game the other day. And it, they, they found the way. They found the way to get the ball in Zeke's hands. And it was kind of like two yards at a time, three yards at a time with Zeke at first. And then he busted through for like a 50-yard run and the floodgates were open. And that game was over. Um, so, no, I don't think it's difficult. I don't think it's a difficult adjustment for them to make. I don't think it takes them out of their offensive identity or what they would prefer to do. I just think they're bad at making in-game adjustments, and that happened again against Iowa. But I fully expect them to find ways to get J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber the ball against Michigan State. And this goes to this point. I was going to get to this question, but you brought it up. Eric
1: Bronstein, loyal listener, at eBronSTE. Assuming J.K. Dobbins does get the ball more, why does it take an embarrassing loss to adjust and make changes? And he cites getting the ball to Zeke after the 2015 Michigan State loss. Is that normal? That's just how
0: it is, or is that a failing by the coaches? Oh, it's a failing. It's 100% a failing. Like, I, again, I don't – st- and the stuff is in the book. The stuff is in the playbook, and maybe you don't practice it in the week leading up to it, but you certainly – you've practiced it before. I don't know why in the middle of a game you just can't switch to that stuff. I, I'm not a coach, so maybe it's, it's more difficult than I thought, than I'm thinking it is, but it doesn't seem all that difficult, and it's not the first time it's happened to them.
1: And I will say that this is where – this, I think, is completely fair to p- put on Urban because, as we've tried to explain to you before, Urban's obviously involved in the offensive game planning during the week, but I'm, my understanding of it is always when you get in a game, and, and it's, this is how he explained it himself. When I did the Purdue 2012 look-back story this year, the five-year anniversary of their overtime win against Purdue, Urban's telling the story of the two-point conversion and... Tom Herman, the offensive play caller, wants to run. Why? What was the word? The Y is the tight end. Why is the tight end?
0: Why, tight end. why is, look look back? Is that what
1: it was? It was like a Y hide something. Cause oh I yeah, Y hide. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Y yeah. hide something. But but they're talking about Tom Herman's talking about a play, and Urban Meyer is yelling into the headset, "Run it, run it, run it." Run it. Urban Meyer's not saying no. I run a. I want to run power gap left a squared, he's saying run it. So he is style. He is in the moment, the type of thing you want to run. And then the coordinators, the play callers call the play. But Urban Meyer does have and must have the ability in a game like that to say, give the ball to J.K. If they're crashing on J.K. on the reads and making J.T. keep it, J.T. keep it, put Dobbins in the game and hand him the ball. I want Dobbins to get at least two of the next three carries. He he's the head coach. He can absolutely do that in the third quarter when they're down fourteen. And if he's not, and if it's taking a week later to get that adjusted, then that is a problem.
2: Yeah, I mean it. That that idea that they don't it. The way Urban Meyer talked, it, it seemed like the design handoff just wasn't much of a thing, which. When you, that's a thing that literally pretty much eliminated from them from the playoff discussion was the fact that they don't have plays to literally just hand the ball to your running backs. When it, when most of your running offense is reading you just physically can't have JT Barrett hand the ball to JK and just have him stand there and let Dobbins go do his thing.
0: I mean, they weren't doing it. And I, I do think, clear, like, JT, JK Dobbins had six carries for fifty. 50- two yards or something like that. Like, they they weren't taking away from it on every play, and they were calling some plays where it was just giving the ball to J.K. I do think one criticism of J.T. is in, when when they get in a position where they're down, I think, and that's like the, the criticism of Braxton Miller is like, we don't want to read with Braxton Miller because he just always keeps the ball. I do think that when Ohio State is down or in a tight game or things are a little hairy, J.T. does not always make the right read. And
2: that goes back into the story I did on Sunday, which is talking about <coughs> JT JT in the last five losses has carried the ball 48% of the time.
0: Yeah, but I I think that stat is true and worth pointing out, but I think there's a misconception about that stat, too, that people think they're calling plays for JT. They're not. Six of his 14 runs against Iowa were called. Well, I'm not saying those are runs that should. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking, I think I, I, well, I think it was good you looked it up, and that stat is important. But I think people are on Twitter and watching a game are saying, "Why do they keep giving the ball to JT? Why do they keep giving the ball to JT?" They're not doing that.
2: Well, I'll throw the reverse in there. Maybe it's not a thing of they're calling runs for JT. They're calling it too many. They're not calling enough runs for the running backs. Yeah. When you need to put your trust in your running backs because it's not giving them the ball, and you're not giving them a chance to contribute. I get JT running the ball. I understand how well he runs his own read, but there needs to come a point where, as a coach, you say enough is enough, JT. You're going to hand the football. And
0: He has to be a threat. Like, the offense isn't the offense without the quarterback running the ball. Oh, I, there's, a, there's a very delicate balance there.
1: I know. I get that. Trust me. And, and they and I mean, it's the stuff that – it's like Urban Meyer helped invent it, and now you hear people talk about it all the time, that when you have the quarterback as a run threat, it adds another – it evens up the numbers. It evens up the numbers because – If your quarterback is merely just a device to get the offense started, then you're playing 10 on 11. And when the quarterback is a threat, you're playing 11 on 11. And they talk about that all the time, even up the numbers. And that is an edge. That is an edge. But you can't be sitting here today after a 31-point loss where J.K. Dobbins only got the ball 11 times. And to be fair... He caught five, five passes, passes, but a lot of those, Bill pointed out, were like little dump offs at the end of the at game. The end of the game, we were down three scores. <coughs> there wasn't, in the heart. I'm getting sicker during the actual podcast. It wasn't in the heart of the game plan. And again, nobody would say that the best way to get. Oh, I'm very sick, but I haven't reached the threshold of stopping to buy cough drops yet. But I did. There was a, there was a little moment. We were eating cough drops all the way to and from Iowa, and Bill bought cough drops because he was actually sick and I was getting out of the car Sunday night and I was like man I think I'm getting sick now and Bill was like oh so you were just eating my cough drops for fun (laughs) you weren't actually having a sore throat and I was like yeah cough drops just taste good (laughs) who among us did not fake or not fake the sore throat but take advantage of the minor throat tickle to eat cough drops as a candy substitute in elementary school but not Hall's Well, what flavor? I had, like, medicated
2: Halls, sugar-free. Well, here's the question. What flavor of Halls was it?
0: Lemon something. If it's the honey lemon, that's the good flavor. Yeah, that's the honey lemon. I mean, don't you? Cherry's the number one cough drop flavor. Is that even a dispute? I prefer the ones that are just, like, I don't know. I don't even know what they They don't have a flavor. They taste like menthol. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't like the cherry, but there is a cough drop. I don't know if you guys have heard of these called coldies. Yeah, they have like very it's like with zinc in the cough drop. It's actually so taking zinc when you're sick is supposed to shorten the lifespan of your cold. Didn't
1: they? Didn't they prove though that that whole zinc thing with the coldies is a scam? Uh, I'm team Hall. This is
2: the first time I've heard of this. So.
1: I'm gonna research that and put it in the post. I thought that there was proof. I thought there was a lawsuit about it. There was like a whole thing about one of the brands. If you're now don't if you're the PR guy. We find out there's a lot of PR people who went to Ohio State yeah if the PR person for a cold ease is a Buckeye fan listening to this podcast don't get all offended <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what the zinc controversy was but anyway I'm sucking on this cough drop now and I'm feeling good nice. I'm feeling like I get a little high
2: right off the bat yeah. right
0: yeah
2: it's nice because the cough drop is kind of supposed to numb the tongue up a little bit and numb the throat with I guess I How guess not so
0: much about cough drops
1: I, I take... just eat them. I take them when I'm sick. So do I. But you know how they operate? It's like the, uh, what did you say? They were supposed to numb the throat and ease the tongue.
2: What did you say? No, it's supposed to like numb up both parts, so it like soothes the throat and makes it not as painful. That's what. That's why it's meant for sore throats. It's supposed. To, that's what they say when it's the cooling effect. I don't really drink alcohol,
1: and believe it or not, I have never, in any fashion, consumed illicit drugs. So at this point in my life as a middle-aged man, a cough drop is like the closest I get to being stoned. So (laughs) me sucking on this halls right now, I'm getting a little looped. You can tell I have a little bit more of a spring in my step than I did 15 seconds ago when I was like, (laughs) I'm dying. So this is me... This is, like, if you want to ever party with me, this is what it's like. Bring the Halls.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Woo! I'll just bring you a giant bag for the next couple weeks. Fuck I Talk, baby! <laughs> Sponsored by Halls. Let's roll, baby. If only we can get Halls to sponsor this podcast. Do they ever do that
1: with cough drop? Do they ever, like, try the slogan of, like, eat this cough drop, it's
0: like getting high, but it's just a cough drop? I think that's what the cigarette well, companies used to isn't do. Isn't that oh, yeah. another way
2: of just saying, don't worry, be happy?
0: I don't know. I'm not worried.
1: Right now, and I am happy. There you go. It, it works.
2: All right. Let's do more questions. All right. Should we get to our friend from China?
1: Yeah, go to the, our friend from China who actually was like a week ago. Yeah. And he, I think we forgot this one. This is but, from
2: Curtis Yan who lives in Caixin, China. And I actually did a little research on the ta- town. do so. break. Just read the question. Okay. No, so. but,
1: but, 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 but I remember when Tim said this, he used the phrase town. I did some Let's research see. on the town and how many people live in the like town.
2: Three million. Yeah. Three million. Well China is three is like three four four times our population, so this this is from a city in northeast China near the Russian border, but he says long time listener first time question. I apologize for now sending this question via Twitter. However, I hope you understand that all social me- American social media is blocked here in China. <laughs> Doug, I believe it was you who asked at the press conference about Florida's situation. Should Ohio state fans worry that Florida might come calling for Kevin Wilson? Jesse Palmer says Florida fans and administrators are enamored with offense. With his offensive track record and ability to be competitive at IU, I think he'd be a great fit at Florida. His problem at IU is defense, more specifically it's depth. With the talent in that state, defensive depth should not be a problem down there. Plus, working for Urban will help him be more prepared to deal with the fans and administration. I realize Urban asks for a two-year commitment. However, given his affection for the people and his time in Florida— if asked, would he recommend Wilson and give his blessing? Sorry for the long question. Hope this finds you before today's podcast. This was from November 1st, so apologize not getting to you. For he, sent it,
0: he sent it after we recorded last week's yes. podcast. Um,
2: that was, that was I, that a really long question. a really interesting question because
1: it's like completely something off the beaten path. And I didn't yeah. even write anything from the answer that Urban gave about the Florida situation because he didn't, he didn't say anything. It was basically after Jim McElwain got whacked and I was like, hey – Florida, what's up? I asked it poorly, I spun it the wrong way, um. But here's what I'll say about this. Generally, we can talk about the Florida situation. I also feel like we need to talk about a little bit about Georgia at some point.
0: Georgia, Georgia.
1: First, Kevin Wilson, which is what we know about better than the Florida situation. But we'll talk about Florida too. We don't just because we don't know about something doesn't prevent us from talking about it.
0: Yeah, never. Mm-hmm.
1: I think Kevin Wilson's on a two-year thing here because I think he needs two years to scrub himself. Yeah. He did not leave Indiana under the best of circumstances. Um, no. He was – it's like, was he fired? Was he not fired? Whatever. He he didn't want to leave, and he was forced to leave. So if you don't want to call that a firing, I guess that's silly because that's being fired. He was fired like – he was not fired like Ed Warner was not fired. Right. So there were issues with some treatment of some injured players. It has actually been a little weird here. Like we kind of pressed him on it early and then it's sort of like, you know what? He's not in charge of that here. So it's not really an Ohio state issue. If he had been hired as a head coach at Ohio state, I feel like we would be asking about it every day still, but he's not in charge of the hurt players. So, it's an Indiana issue more than an Ohio State issue. I guess we could have delved into it and dug into it more. Uh, Zach Osterman, who covers Indiana for the Indy Star, has written some great stories on that because it's a great—it's an Indiana story that matters to the Indiana program. Here, he's in a different spot. He's coaching offense, so we've we've hit it at the beginning, and then we've kind of been focused on him as an offensive coach. But if I were an administrator, I would not hire Kevin Wilson. No. Not right now. Not right now. So I think he has enough of that baggage that he needs more time away. Um, he'll be here. And then second of all, I mean, I think it's the very first thing at the beginning of the year, you wrote, a, you know, why Ohio State will beat Indiana when we do our reasons each week is because Kevin Wilson's an offensive genius. He certainly brought that reputation from Northwestern and Oklahoma, and that's how he got a head coaching job at Indiana. I think he could use some more in. Like, you know, like yeah. uh, we've praised them, and we, you can see the progress the offense has made. I think he's a half-step
0: short of genius so far this think, year at Ohio State. I think there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, too, here at Ohio State that weren't in the kitchen at Indiana or, or anywhere else he's been. Because even when he was at Oklahoma, like, he was working on the Bob Stoops and didn't have a hand in the offense. <coughs> this is not truly his offense. And it was never going to be when he came here, but I think that's a fact worth pointing out.
2: Um Yeah, as long as Urban's here, it's going to be the Urban Meyer offense. It's just a question of how much freedom will he give Kevin Wilson to kind of work around the edges of the framework.
0: Yeah, Uh, I agree about Kevin Wilson as a head coach. And I think I said this to you, Doug. I don't think it's completely off the table for him to be a head coach next year if the coaching carousel gets so crazy that there's a group of five team like Memphis – sitting there in January without a head coach because all these things have fallen in motion that they they are now without a head coach too um, then I think someone might reach out to Kevin Wilson but uh, I don't I don't know if he'll ever be a power five head, head coach again um, I think it's possible he's not um, and I think craziness would have to happen for him to get a group of five job next year so then let's just play this game real quick and we're basically just playing this as interested
1: college football observers not people with insight to the situation.
2: Who would you hire as an ex-Florida coach? Ooh, Scott Frost. I'd say Dan Mullen.
0: Or Dan Mullen, yeah. I think Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen is a good X's and O's guy. I don't know how well he recruits. I also don't know how well Scott Frost recruits because he's got a pretty dry personality, well, it's too. Hard, well, it's hard for
2: Dan Mullen to recruit in Mississippi State because it's Mississippi State.
0: No, no, no I know. I'm, I'm not, I mean, <coughs> I'm just talking pure personality. Like and Florida recruits to itself a little bit, and you're in a very fertile recruiting ground. Obviously, yeah. I don't know, I don't know who the dynamic recruiting personality is, but I would not put either Dan Mullen or Scott Frost in that category.
2: Yeah, I think I would lean more to to Mullen because I feel like if you're Florida, you know he's a more proven commodity at the Power Five level than Scott Frost. Scott Frost is right now at a Group of Five team at UCF, which granted is undefeated. And he'll get a Power 5 job. I just don't. I think Florida right now is like, they think they're an elite program. And, Florida's an
0: elite program. Oh,
2: yeah, they are an elite program. It's a but top, as their athletic the, job, program. As I believe their ED said after the Jim McElwain firing, we want, essentially paraphrasing, we want flash in addition to substance. Substance was what they had in Jim McElwain. They went to back to back East titles, and
0: he blows. He's, he's awful.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know
0: who they should
1: hire, but I don't think they can hire? Willie Taggart. Well, I was just, that's the name I was going to bring up. I know there's talk about that. He's just got to Oregon, and I know I was reading a story from our friends at Oregon Live, who are part of our same company. They do a great job covering the Ducks. Um, and Willie Taggart had said something about the fact, like, his kids came home from school and said, like, are we moving again? And he was like, no, 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 we're not moving. Like, he's this is his first year at Oregon. Yeah. Sometimes you just get caught in a spot where, like, you're, like a really good job opens And like your wife would kill you if you took it. And I don't mean that. I mean, it just happens in life. There are situations where, where the wife has a great job opportunity and it's not right for the family. And the husband would, you know, like it's just, it's easy to forget that coaches have families, but it's hard to move and it's hard to move young kids. And when you're a coach, it's just part of the deal. And if you get fired if I get, I don't want to move my kids. If I get fired tomorrow, we have to go where we can eat. So we'd have to move possibly. If it's up to you, Willie Taggart might really want to go to Florida. I don't, there's sometimes you just can't. Like if you, when you yeah. look back and say, man, why did that coach take that job? It's like, cause he had a family, man. And they just moved this time and this time and you move on the way up. And then when you get to the top, it's like, are you sure this is a better job? Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? So that would be a great hire for them. I know Pete Thamel, who does a great job covering college football, said Scott Frost, Dan Mullen, which are the two guys you talked about, or Chip Kelly. He said it's going to be one of those three. If you're Chip Kelly, where, where would you want to land back in college football? Like if you were Chip Kelly and you thought, I, I'm, I'm not in a hurry. I'm doing some little breakdown shows for ESPN, feeling good about life. I have enough money. I want to get back into coaching, but I'm not going to go until it's a great job. What are you waiting for? What, what are the jobs that you're saying, I'll go for that, I'll go for that one, I'll go for that one? Is Florida one of those, or are you holding out for something else, and if so, what is it?
0: I don't think Chip Kelly would want to coach in Florida. Like we, The thing we know about Chip Kelly is he did not like all the BS that came with being a college coach. and There's a lot of BS in Florida lot of expectations a lot of glad handing in addition to all the recruiting and coaching you have to do um so i i mean i would love it if you went there it'd be great it'd be fun to watch putting those kind of those kind of athletes in his offense i don't see it if i'm him and i think i also said this to you i would look at a place like arizona state or arizona where you can recruit there is no expectation you can win nine games every year and you'll be a god there but then you'll also make a competitive program in the Pac-12.
1: Can you win a championship at those schools? Because he played for a national championship at Oregon.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think you can turn either of those schools into what Oregon <laughs> game.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing anymore is the question of can you win a national championship at those schools, that question is can you win your division in the Pac-12? Yeah. And if the answer is, well, yeah, if you're decent you can win your division in the Pac-12, then the answer is, yeah, you can win a national championship because then all you have to do is go win the Pac-12 championship game and have not blown it out your butt in the non-conference, and you're in the mix. So, I mean, I guess, is it any more crazy to say that Arizona State and Arizona can be national championship contenders than to have said that Oregon could be a national championship contender? They're They're very similar. Might make more sense at Oregon. I mean, might make more sense at Arizona and Arizona State than it did at Oregon, at least the Oregon that Chip Kelly inherited.
0: Yeah. That was a lot of non-Ohio State talk.
2: Well, I can get back to Ohio State with another coaching question. All right. I got this one from Fast Eddie at Edward Waller. He asked, after the game Saturday, you guys talked about Bill Davis leaving. What about Zach Smith? Who replaces Shiana when he leaves this year or next? And it kind of leads me into what I was telling Doug and Bill, that if Greg Shiano leaves, I have my guy in mind for who I think Ohio State needs to go get. Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator from Washington State, would be my personal choice. Because, I mean, how many times in the history of you know college football has Mike Leach not had good defenses? He's got a good one this year. How old's that guy? I'm trying to look. He looks like a pretty young guy. Um, oh, here's a fun thing. Hometown, Grove City, and he played his college football at Mountain Union. For real? Yeah, for real. He's I'm, from Grove City? He's a Grove City guy. He's an Ohio guy. And did you, you know he was an Ohio guy? I did not know it until I looked at his bio. Like
1: you didn't know it until three seconds ago? No. And you randomly plucked the Washington State defensive coordinator, who I literally have never heard of, out of the air. And I'm, I was like, Yeah, whatever, B. Like oh, you're just saying I've, random names. And oh by the way, he's a Mountain Union guy and he's from Ohio. Yeah. He's definitely their next defensive coordinator. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, you've nailed it. If I'm look, if you if you want to look for the ne- the next hot shot guy, and I mean, there's been nights where on road trips we've been at hotels on Friday night, and there's been the old Pac-12 after dark football. You know, this is a guy who's put together some good defenses. They get after it. I think they're. I think they're like second or third in the Pac-12 in defense.
1: Where was he before Washington State?
2: Um, I gotta look again. I can't believe he's from Ohio.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, he's that's, fr- that's burying the lead, look. I'm sorry, but he didn't know the lead. Oh, I know. Like I, I didn't. I don't even, care where he is. I honestly don't care like what his defensive stats are. I care about where he's from. Or where he, he, was, he can recruit. He was the safeties coach at Missouri from 2012 to
2: 2014. Was he with Pinkel at Toledo before that? Um no, I guess Pickle is at
0: missouri he was the
2: that. he was the recruiting coordinator and secondary coach at Wyoming before then Ooh. so i mean and he's coached in New Hampshire <coughs> and a couple he coached of,
0: at New Hampshire
2: yeah, he was a cornerback uh two thousand five to two thousand eight he was a cornerbacks coach for two years and then he was the secondary coach and recruiting coordinator, so I believe at two separate two separate stops. New Hampshire and Wyoming, he's a recruiting coordinator. So he's not necessarily a branch of the Chip Kelly tree, but he's like a nut on yeah. the Chip
1: Kelly tree. All right, that's too much Washington State defensive coordinator talk, too. But I think it's interesting, Urban, the year they had, like, all guys from Ohio, Urban loved it. Mm. He's not against bringing in a hot shot. I'm all for hot shots. Tom Herman was a hot shot with no real Ohio roots, even though he was born in Cincinnati and then moved when he was a baby. Um so yeah, but like a guy like a hotshot with Ohio roots, yeah, that's like money in the bank, baby.
2: Yeah, I mean we didn't know who Tom Herman was when Ohio State hired him. You were like, why would Urban Meyer hire an offensive coordinator from Iowa State? But
1: he was in Mensa.
2: That's yep. very true. Very smart. All
1: right. Um... Where are we at on the podcast right now? We are. We're not supposed to talk about the time, Tim. Tim Trout. T I M T R A U T. Is it time to be concerned yet with the lack of sacks from the defensive line? Short answer, since we
0: have already talked about it some. Concern or not a concern? Not a concern. No. Really? It's just the way teams play them. They throw the ball quickly. Unless they want to, like, if you have a guy who can get to the quarterback in two seconds, sign me up. But they don't have that because it's physically impossible. Teams throw the ball quickly. Um...
1: Let's do a bowl thing. Let's do our ideal bowl matchups. And this is from Dave Fitzgerald from Buckeye Fitzy. And unfortunately, yeah, we... One of the... There's a wrinkle here that, like, it's worth explaining to fans, too. Would it be a better story to have a pseudo-Rose Bowl in Phoenix in the Fiesta Bowl versus Washington or USC as an Ohio State Bowl? Or to have a, a rematch in the Orange Bowl against Miami. So the one thing that Ohio State fans need to know is that if Ohio State wins the Big Ten, they cannot go to the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl has an agreement to get the ACC champ every year, and then they have another agreement with the SEC, Notre Dame, and the Big Ten, but part of that agreement is they cannot have a champion from the SEC or Big Ten because that would be too many champions for the Orange Bowl. It wouldn't be fair. So if Ohio State wins the Big Ten and they are not in the playoff, They are definitely in one of the New Year's Six Bowls, but in that scenario, they would have to go to either the Fiesta Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, or the Peach Bowl, Chick-fil-A Bowl in Atlanta because the other option is the Orange, and the Big Ten champion is forbidden from going to the Orange. If Ohio State would run the table and lose to Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship, that's a three-loss Ohio State team, but I guess there would be an outside shot of them still being in a New Year's Six Bowl. Eh, maybe. Maybe. (coughs) then the Orange Bowl's in play. Then I think like a Miami-Ohio State matchup in the Orange Bowl could be be really interesting. Um, But if you're trying to guess where they're going to go, that's a a thin needle to thread, like lose the Big Ten championship game but still be good enough to get into a, a New Year's Six Bowl. So I think in general, for Ohio State fans right now, If you're thinking this Ohio State team wins out, be thinking Fiesta, Cotton, or Peach Bowl. And given that, what's the best? What's the most fun that Ohio State fans could have in bowl season? Because in 2015, when they blew it against Michigan State, they get wound up kind of in a fun bowl playing Notre Dame. There's a lot there in Phoenix at the Fiesta Bowl, which is a place that fans know well. That was kind of a cool thing. It was a consolation prize, but we're in the consolation prize zone. So. Which one do you want?
2: I I get the feeling that if Ohio State's on the table, it's going to be hard for Georgia in particular to pass that up because it's the closest to Ohio geographically of the three. So I would think with a brand new stadium and you already got the national championship game, the next best thing you can get in addition to that is getting a market like Ohio State where you know you're going to get your ticket a lot of been sold. So I would think George the Peach Bowl would be a great idea, and why not? Ohio State Miami, it's it would be essentially a neutral site game because I believe they're both about the same distance apart from Atlanta, which is kind of interesting. That's a match. I that would obviously require Miami probably getting to the ACC championship game, but losing to Clemson, which mm-hmm. I think certainly can happen. You can't tell me that would not be a fun thing. Fifteen years later, I do.
1: Ha- I do think if the ACC champ is in the playoff, that the Orange Bowl would want the next ACC team though. Oh, well, okay, right. I mean, yeah, we're just throwing stuff they out would, there. Would they, but...
0: would they do anything to keep Miami from playing on its home field?
1: That'd... I don't know. Or, but like, are that would the. Would Miami's fans like be dying to see a good Miami team in the Orange Bowl? I mean, when Miami was good.
0: No, no, yeah, I'm sure. Some... Like from Miami's side, of course they did want to play in the Orange Bowl. I'm talking about like the committee who's slotting the teams in the Bowls. Right. They didn't want to give Miami a home game. Yeah,
2: I, that would be the thing is I wonder, I'm, I know back in the day when Miami in the 80s was playing championships <coughs> in the Orange Bowl, but that was under old selection rules. This is a committee that will probably manually plant these games. I'm pretty sure the last thing they will want if Miami's there is for Miami to essentially have a home game on, I, don't know. I believe, New Year's Eve.
0: Here's I think the thing: it comes down to taking runner, ACC runner-up Miami and a Notre Dame team that's on the playoff, I think Notre Dame would go to the Orange Bowl.
1: Here's the thing that that, that I think is the nightmare scenario for Ohio State fans is a non-Power 5 – the best non-Power 5 team gets in the, the one of the New Year's Six Bowls. They have to um, – and then there's always, like, a good team, a good traditional power that has to play that team. So last year it was Western Michigan versus who? Wisconsin. Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl. The year before that it was Houston, Florida State in the Peach Bowl. And Houston actually beat Florida State. Mm-hmm. So Ohio State, Central Florida is out there. Like, Ohio, that's yeah. I've seen that prediction. Like, Ohio State, Central Florida in Atlanta is about the worst... New Year's Six Bowl you could hope for. Exactly. Because no offense to Atlanta, but it's the worst site Mm -hmm. compared to Dallas, Miami, Phoenix, Phoenix, L.A., and New Orleans. And no offense to Central Florida, but nobody thinks you're fun.
0: Yeah, I want them to play Oklahoma State. I don't care where it is. (laughs) So we get the OSU-OSU game? Yeah. Mostly just Gundy's mullet and Mason Rudolph throwing on Ohio State's defense. I would
2: love to see... Washington State, just because it would be fun to cover Mike Mike Leach for a month. Just that would be interesting. Because oh, yeah. if you, if you <coughs> read my breakfast Tuesday morning, I threw in not one but two clips of Mike Leach talking. He had a story, you know, comparing the targeting rule to a, to a story he had when he got busted for speeding in some town in Iowa for driving 22 in a 20. And then he someone just asked him what the best mascots were, and he talked for a minute about mascots. He's weird. Yeah, super weird. Eric
1: Boggs, at Buckeye Boggs. Is it getting increasingly more frustrating to cover Urban Meyer when seemingly he doesn't want to plainly answer questions or skirts around the tough questions?
0: I mean, they're really bad at losing. They're really bad at losing. Like, we're going in we're in a little bit for Tuesday night interviews. I don't expect anything enlightening to come, um, at least from Greg Schiano. I think JT might be interesting. Um, frustrating? No. I, no. 'Cause I think I think he's much better than most head coaches at answering questions most of the time and giving insightful answers even when the questions aren't great. So like if he's gonna be kinda crotchety when they lose, I guess it's annoying, but um it's expected, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean no every I'm sure most coaches are like that. They don't want to talk when they lose. Yeah, but what Unless about the you coaches lose. that
1: lose when you're eight and four, that's four times a year you have to do that. And that and you're good. Eight and four is good, and that's yeah. four times a year you have to do that. What about if you're 10-2 every year? That's twice a year. This is the first time in Urban Meyer's life at Ohio State he's lost two times in the regular season. you got to be better at losing. I don't accept the losing as hard. So. I
0: also don't think the questions are great after they lose. I think that's part of it. I'm going to criticize the beat. I think this beat is bad at asking critical questions.
1: There Sometimes there's a, an idea of you're afraid to ask it, and then sometimes people are mad. And their question is, like, a little bit angry.
0: Their question so. is, how could you do this to me? Or the question is, I'm going to dance around it, not really get to the point, And, like, in the end, your answer can be yes. So, like, right. yeah. I th- I, like, it's it's hard, I think, <coughs> to ask critical questions. And I think, yes. I, I, and I'm going to toot our own horn. I think us at Cleveland.com are among the best at asking the critical questions when Ohio State is playing poorly. To the point critical questions. Uh, we have a couple food questions. Get some food questions loaded if you guys have any before we get to the
1: end here. We're going to wrap it up here in a little bit. All right. Shelby Goldman, at Shelby Goldman, which current Ohio State player or coach would you love to interview, and what would you ask? Well,
0: what was a question I was paying attention
1: to. Any Ohio State co- player or coach. Current player or coach, get him for an interview. You get a one-on-one interview. Ooh. Sit down and talk, Ooh. and what would you want to talk about?
2: I uh, want to, talk to sit down with just B.B. Landers, 15 minutes.
0: BB Landers is, uh, yeah, he's, what's the word, gregarious? Is that a good word? A good way to describe him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dude's, he's a great talker. Can I get real with mine? Get real. I want to talk to Nick Bosa about his political beliefs that he puts out on Twitter and how that meshes with his teammates who clearly have opposing political agendas in the locker room. That part of it is an interesting part of any sports
1: locker room because every sports locker room in America right now, high school, college, and pros, we are in a divisive political time where people are, and, and the social media aspect allows everyone to put their political beliefs out there. There used to be, everyone used to say, don't talk about politics or religion, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now everybody talks about everything, which is fine, but you are lining up in a brotherhood with somebody who is diametrically opposed to your beliefs about how society should work. And I am fascinated also by that of like, and then you line up next to that guy and you are both going to try to go do your job and you go hug each other and have each other's back in bad moments and celebrate together. And then you go out and in this divisive time are completely on opposite sides in a world where people are choosing sides more than ever. Yeah. How does that not influence something? I think it's fascinating. I would want a real conversation with Zach Smith to sit down and talk about not like the bull crap stuff, not swag and bragging on Twitter, but real life stuff about being Earl Bruce's grandson, having this personal connection to Urban Meyer, um, why he behaves the way he does on Twitter sometimes. Does he put the, does he negatively reflect on the program with the way he behaves on social media at times? But then the relationships he has with his players, how does he maintain them? Why are his receivers bad sometimes? How What have his successes have been? What does he think about himself in this business, what he's good at and bad at? Why is he so confrontational? Does he f- feel like he has to have like a chip on his shoulder because people might think he only has his job because of who his grandfather is um, and get real and, and put him on the spot with the criticisms I've had of the way he has coached. And handled himself over the past couple years at times. Sometimes the results of his position group have been great. And the receivers certainly have played better this year. Sometimes the results of his position group have been terrible. And I would love to just pin him down on some of that stuff. Not to get in a fight, but to get real. And to give him a chance to give real answers. To um, defend himself. um, Maybe to admit some failings. And to try to get in his head a little bit about why he is the way he is. That'd be good. Also talk about sports.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Joey Drizzy, get busy. Wants to know, I live in Michigan and I I visit my grandma in Columbus over Christmas. What's the one food place I have to go to or else she'll kill me
0: in Columbus? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm bad at giving Columbus restaurant advice <coughs> because while I've lived here for four years now, I don't get out enough. Ha! Too busy with your job, are you? busy with my job
1: um yeah no like i'm much better on chain restaurants yeah i
0: can't, I can't say chilies. there's only like one chili's in columbus yeah like i don't know people will say like i feel like i've said this like people say Thurman, and go get a burger um i mean i guess Nash the shake, hot chicken like, place what's
2: it called takeover? hot chicken takeover i um, guess
1: although i went on a rant earlier this year about like why is that columbus food but we then we found that it actually is columbus people so maybe that
0: yeah sorry the answers are boring canes is good Canes is good, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Drizzy.
2: I mean, there are a lot of good options around Columbus. There's none that are like super unique to the area, which is
0: not. I, I mean, mean, there are a ton of great, <coughs> in like short north and downtown. There are a bunch of great bars and restaurants. Um, but like I think you could pick one. Like I got like a place called Max. Um, I like a place called Philco. Um, but yeah, I think if you if you head in the short north area, you'll you'll find something good. Uh, quick answers now. Jordan Alexis
1: at JAA951. Should Jeffrey Okuda start getting more run as a second corner? Arnett and Sheffield just don't appear to be that good at the moment.
0: No, I think if he was good enough to do that, they would have done it already. I agree.
1: I mean, I think, yeah, it's like, the only thing you can take away is Sheffield and Arnett haven't been great, and they're still better than Okuda.
2: Yeah, which speaks volumes, I think.
1: Because he's not, I mean, he's he's burned his red shirt. He's playing. It's not like they're saving. If he could do it, He'd do it. Um, what's your over-under on JK touches this week? This is from Seth at Easy Does It Boss. Urban has come out and said JK needs more touches. Over-under 25 for JK against Washington State. Under. <sighs> Under. I can't imagine getting over. If they get over, like, I think that'd be good. But I don't think they have it in them to do it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, boy, oh, boy. Dean... Cruz asked like five questions in one. Does he have the 280 characters now? He must. He put them to good use. I don't know if, we know if we can get to him. He asked about brisket, favorite style region of barbecue. Who's the starting quarterback in 2019? What's the best next day hangover, cold, fast food item? Cold, fast food? Oh, he must mean hangover cold. Hangover slash cold fast yeah. food? Yeah. Okay. He said his is the McDor- Mc, uh, the McDee's. McDonald's quarter pounder with cheese is the best hangover food. Yeah,
0: I like. I, someone asked this before. I like. I like the uh, the ten piece nug meal, throw a McDouble on the side. All right, one more.
1: Uh, what's your beverage of choice? What's your favorite beverage? This is from Greg Tyson at Wasted Penguin. Like in general, or like alcoholic beverage? He just says beverage. I always feel like people use beverage right as alcoholic. Yeah. But also, beverage is just something you drink. So I'm not taking it alcoholically. And yours
0: answer is Diet Coke.
1: My actually I just here's the thing for me, I really enjoy unsweetened iced tea at a restaurant. Yeah. But I don't like drinking unsweetened iced tea out of a plastic out of a paper cup. I only want to drink unsweetened iced tea out of a glass. So if there's unsweetened iced tea at like a at like a fountain place, I don't get it. But in a restaurant sit down where a server brings me the unsweetened iced tea,
0: I love it. Tim, what's yours?
2: Uh I mean I was go with the drink I drink most often, that's usually just a Coke Zero. Coke Zero. I mean it, it tastes close to Coke close enough to Coke with for me, and it's better than diet. Just... Uh
0: yeah. I I'm also a fan of unsweetened iced tea. Um I drink a lot of coffee, both iced and hot, so it's kinda of versatile. I, but, I mean, my thing I drink the most is water. I drink a lot of water.
1: Do you drink a lot of water? That's yeah. very healthy.
0: Yeah. I like, uh, I'm big into, um, is it La-, La Croix? It's like flavored sparkling water. Yeah. drink a ton of that stuff. Really? Yeah. I thought I saw an investigation of La Croix as well in the New York maybe, Times. whatever. I've since purchased a soda stream and make my own. You make your own for real? Yeah. God, you're, you're a Renaissance man. I am.
1: All right, does anyone have any other food questions? If not, there's one more football question I want to get to. Um,
2: I had a thing from Doug DeLillo about food. I need to find it again. Um, I be- Yeah, here it is. Um, we now know Pizza Hut is the widely eaten food on Halloween Hawaii, but did you know KFC is widely eaten in Japan on Christmas? Oh, yeah, I Thoughts? saw that
0: question. I think he made that up. If, We'd if, have to research that. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, he's pulled out some crazy research things of late in the Why last
0: Why would – I mean, KFC, I think, is like gigantic in Asia. Yeah. What is the predominant religion in Japan? I don't know. I don't know. They,
1: they, they, they don't celebrate. I mean, why? They, they don't even celebrate Christmas. Why would they eat oh, they, fried they, chicken on Christmas? They celebrate Christmas.
0: I mean, the. the is pe- Christianity widespread in Japan? Now we're
1: just down a rabbit hole of ignorance. Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> well, I've never I don't been...
0: know. I don't like that question.
1: All right. DeLillo is. His questions can seem like test questions sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah. Stop making me feel stupid, DeLillo. <laughs>
1: We can do that ourselves. All right. This is a really good question, and we can't go very long because we're almost done here. We have to go into interviews. Interview start soon. It's early. This is Buck Off Leahy at Aniowon Buckeye. A-N-I-O-W-A-N Buckeye. It's early, but do you think there will be a drop-off next year, depending on how many will leave early, as well as having a new quarterback?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I have to think about the roster. Yeah, they're going to lose a lot of guys. The defensive line is going to be totally new. Uh You're probably going to be missing two linebackers. You're going to be missing uh two defensive backs. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, I think it's fair to expect the drop off. I also think, like, the recruiting in 2017 and a little bit in 2016, like, went to a new level here. And those are the guys who are coming in to replace here. are talking about a lot of five-star guys. So I think you can expect one if you want to, like, set your expectations low. But I think it's possible that they could be, like, not better at the jump, but, like, by the end of the year, like, a more talented team than they are right now.
2: I think... I think 2018, will learn a lot more about the recruiting class of 2016 because we've already seen some pretty good returns on that with guys like Nick Bosa and jo- and Austin Mack really playing well. Among among other guys, those two have really been among the standouts. 2017, way too early to call because they're freshmen stepping into a veteran program, and you really have, can't judge freshmen. I th- judge there were seven quickly. five-star
0: prospects in that class, I
2: think. Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the only guys I've really ever seen the field consistently are Chase Young and... In particular JK Dobbins. So they don't like we're not gonna learn anything about them for a year, maybe two. But if those classes are as good as they as they are on paper, then you should expect that even though you're losing some veterans, you should get some good young talent in those classes. Oh no, I almost forgot to neglect to mention Jordan Fuller's in twenty sixteen and he's now a starter. Ready for this hot take? Sure. Bring it. They're gonna be awesome next year.
1: Next year is gonna reinvigorate Urban. It's gonna reinvigorate this fan base. This is a line in the sand, the end of a group and the beginning of a whole new group. Yes, they're young guys. The 2014 national championship team was sophomores. Mm-hmm. That's what this group is going to be. This is going to be like J.K. Dobbins, Chase Young, and then like all still like Nick Bosa Wyatt and Davis
0: on the O line
1: and Dwayne Haskins or Byron Tate Martell Browning. at quarterback. Um, Jalen Harris, maybe if Trayvon Grimes comes back, whatever situation is supplementing the receivers. You still have all these receivers back. Um, Maybe. A lot of them. Um, Demario McCall. uh, Like Okuda playing. Sean Wade playing. Baron Browning playing. Like, I know if you're an Ohio State fan, and we'll start writing this soon enough, if you're an Ohio State fan, it's okay to be upset right now. I would buckle up. I would I would buckle up for next year. Spring's gonna be fun. Because it's a really fun spring to cover. I think these classes that you guys just mentioned, they both sixteen and seventeen are of the caliber of the two thousand thirteen recruiting class that won a national championship as sophomores in two thousand fourteen and should have won another one as fifteen.
0: And there's gonna be some eighteen freshmen who are gonna play next year.
1: And so this is this was a year this was not a this was not like a this was a top off year with all these fifth year seniors and as many guys back. two thousand and sixteen was a building up to something year. that was a bonus. they got to a playoff. This was the year they should have done something, and they didn't um it doesn't mean they still might be the big ten chance, but they're not going to be a playoff team. This was a year to do it, but next year it's going to be so different. But if you're like wondering about, oh man, the linebacker play, whatever, this, like wait till you see Baron Browning. Yeah. Like every snap. And wait till you see Jeffrey Okuda every snap. And wait till you see Nick Bosa and Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper as your ends. And wait till you see who are going to be the tackles?
0: They have tackles coming in, right? Jaron Cage and Haskell Garrett are getting in a little bit, or Haskell Garrett got in a little bit now, so he'll play. Malik Barrow, I don't know what his deal is, but if he can get healthy, he'll play. Um, Teron Vincent's coming in. He'll play as a true freshman. So there's some questions at defensive defense tackle. I'm probably forgetting somebody. But Robert Landers. Robert Landers is going to play a yeah, lot think, next year. I feel like Robert
2: Landers is going to be a key part of this offensive line. Him and Nick Bosa are going to be the two guys, I think, especially in the first two games that – this defense is going to lean on up front. Nick
0: Bosa told me he thinks Robert Landers can be one of the best nose tackles in the country if they let him play more, if, like when he gets a chance to play more. And wait until you see what J.K.
1: Dobbins does when they stop farting around with him
2: yeah.
0: and let him go. They're
2: going to have to do that with an inexperienced quarterback. But Again. but they're going to be okay
1: there. And, and this is like next week's podcast. And I'm going to write this maybe tonight. I was going to write it for today, but I got sick. You cannot judge Urban Meyer and where he is as a coach and where this program is as a whole until we get to the next quarterback. And that is the difference, the primary difference, between the end of Meyer in Florida and what is happening right now. In Florida, the end of Meyer started after Tebow left. Tebow was in his last year in 2009. Um, nine. They were undefeated. They lost in the in the SEC championship game. That was the night that Urban had the issue with the hospital. Then he briefly retired after that that year. And then came back the next year and went eight and five without Tebow. People are seeing this as a uh oh year. And I I wrote has he lost his edge. I helped contribute to this. But this is with his quarterback. So you saw the problems, the real problems in Florida came after he lost his quarterback. The problems are here now with his quarterback. I think he will be reinvigorated because whether it's Haskins or Martell, they are so different than JT. And both those players are going to require the coaching staff, staff to coach differently, to, I think, accept more risk, to add more risk into the game plan. And we saw JT Barrett sort of fail in trying to take more risks against Iowa. I think Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell are more higher ceiling, lower basement kind of guys in different ways than JT was. Mm -hmm. And I think this program is at that point. And whether the result is going to be whether Dwayne Haskins is Deshaun Watson or Tate Martell is Baker Mayfield, you're going to get a little bit more of like a woo at quarterback than a solid, 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 solid. And solid, solid, solid has done really, really well for this program. And JT Barrett has had a tremendous career here. It's time for something new. They're going to be forced into something new. And hold on. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I'm looking forward to the woo next year.
1: Woo! It's the Ric Flair offense. You guys watching? I'm like, I'm not, everyone's going crazy for like the Ric Flair 30 for 30 that's coming out. No, I don't care. I don't care.
2: I mean, I'd love to watch it, but I got other stuff going on. <laughs>
1: Tim Bielek doesn't have time for that crap. All right, that's it for Buckeye Talk. Follow us on Twitter at Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25 at Doug Maurice. We're going in for Ohio State interviews right now. Keep watching our videos at Cleveland.com. Keep reading our stories at Cleveland.com slash OSU. We do this podcast every Wednesday. We do another podcast after every game. Um, you can find those podcasts on iTunes and anywhere else. You can subscribe to podcasts. You can also find all of our Cleveland.com podcasts at Cleveland.com slash OSU podcast. That's easy. Go find those there. So thanks as always to you guys. Another round of great questions. I know there's some uh, upset and disappointed Ohio State fans out there, but we appreciate you guys hanging in, uh, offering feedback, interacting with us and continuing to listen to this podcast. We had some really good numbers on the podcast um, last week. Um, hopefully we'll continue with those. And again, we couldn't do it without you guys. So for Bill Landis and Tim Bielek, I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.